Members <clears throat> shall not indulge in the world's methods of pleasure-seeking, amusements and entertainment, patronizing or taking part in fairs, parades, circuses, moving picture shows, theaters, drama, public bathing resorts, organized contesting ball teams, dancing, card parties, races, various forms of gambling, scavenger hunts, mystery suppers, hayrides, and such like. The more expensive cars, cars with contrasting colors, sports cars as well as sports features on regular cars, and all striped tires shall be avoided. Because of the evils of television, those who are responsible for the sale or use of the same forfeit their membership. What I just read to you is an actual quote from a real church's rules for behavior. Now, no one would dispute that they have every right to have their own rules. The church has that right and certainly that freedom in our country. The question is whether these fit into Scripture. Are they from Scripture? Or are they from men? And if from man are these proper for a church to enforce, and how do we treat those who disagree with us in those areas or others? I was honored uh, to speak at a summer camp as their main Bible teacher. This is some years ago. And the camp was put on by a, a group that, among other things, believed that boys and girls uh, should not go swimming together. And uh, what that was called in those circles was, uh, and they practiced that, of course, at the camp, and what that was called in those circles was uh, mixed bathing. It was there that I was asked this question. Do you believe in mixed bathing? I was the main speaker at the camp. <laughs> now, I was not as respectful back then as, <laughs> as I like to think that I have learned to be as I've grown older. So <clears throat> when they said, do you believe in mixed bathing, I said, absolutely not. 
I don't care if boys and girls swim together, but mixed bathing is out. I won't tell you how the rest of the conversation went, because <laughs> it was not one of my most shining moments. Here's the thing. We may laugh or shake our heads at that or those kinds of rules that I read to you a moment ago, and those are rather extreme, but... Uh, if, if you're not familiar with churches like that, they are around. And some of you grew up in them. So you know very well that uh, those or other rules are not that unusual. But as I read those rules now, it really makes me want to weep for the bondage that some who know Christ are living under. But the reality is that Paul was addressing an issue here in Romans 14. Two issues, actually. Very real issues that had the potential and was splitting the church. And if we aren't careful, our attitude toward the churches that would have rules like this or other believers where their conscience is telling them uh, something, if we aren't careful, we can fall into the same problems that the church in Rome was having back then. So let's read our passage and see how and where it applies to us. Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live in the Lord, and if we die, we die in the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you humble our hearts to be submissive to your Holy Spirit and to your word, which is truth. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin with uh, what the issues of the day were back with uh, the church in Rome, because they are nothing like the ones that uh, I had introduced to you. And you can, you can look uh, in the passage that I just read, uh, verses 2, 3, and 5 basically give you what the issues are. Here's what was going on. You had Jewish converts that uh, were still celebrating uh, some of perhaps the Jewish holy days or other days that had been designated as their religious holy days, and they were doing it as Christians now. Seemed to be doing it sincerely. But then you had uh, Gentile converts where that wasn't their background that wasn't what they had been taught at any point. And they did not worship on those days and apparently would not uh, see those days as especially holy days. And this was causing a conflict between those two groups. Groups that before they were Christians already had uh, divisions between them, that great wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile. And, and this was just one more thing that seemed to be coming out even now that they were Christians. And then there were also Jewish converts that evidently were living by the Old Testament dietary laws and, and perhaps even enhanced ones of those as uh, they, they were not eating meat at all. Now, if you're a vegetarian, don't get nervous here because it's, it's not about being a vegetarian unless you're a vegetarian because you feel in your conscience that you are trying to keep the Old Testament laws, and also in your conscience, you think everybody else should keep it because of your conscience. You see what was going on here? So you had those that were uh, just eating vegetables, and then you had, again, in this case, it was the Gentile uh, converts, and they said... We love our meat. We got no, no problem eating meat. We're not under 
you know, the ceremonial law or the laws of cleanliness back then. We've been giving all these things, you know, God said, take and eat. And so there was conflict. Each were judging the others. One is seen as the weaker brother, and another is a stronger brother. And we will address that in a minute. But what we see here is, and I want to bring us into the book of Romans again, is that Paul is now getting to some of the nitty-gritty of uh, the application of how we are to love one another and accept one another. Remember in, in Romans 12 he talked about that? The end of Romans 13, last week we talked about that again. And so he says this in verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So the context is love and acceptance for one another. And he's, he's showing, he's about to show them that look, in your diversity in the church, that is the perfect place for you to be able to show the world what this biblical love, agape love for one another, what it looks like because you are diverse. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure how this is going to uh, apply to our church because, you know, we're not really all that diverse. Look, at, look around at us. We're all just the same. Now, I will say this. I will concede this. That we are not as ethnically diverse as I, I would like us to be and I pray that we will be. But don't kid yourself to think we're just all alike. Let me tell you a little bit about our diversity. You have young and old at least four generations represented here. Think there's diversity between the generations? Absolutely. You have those who are wealthy and those who are not. Is that diverse? Absolutely. You have executives and blue-collar workers both sitting in the pew together. You have those that grew up Presbyterian and those that grew up Baptist and those that grew up Catholic all sitting around you and other denominations. You have those that grew up in a legalistic church and those who this is your first church ever. I could go on. But in our church, there is diversity. 
Which, by the way, from my perspective as the pastor, that is one of the beauties of St. Andrew's Presbyterian. Because of that. But whenever there's diversity, and Paul would affirm this here, there is potential for conflict because of how deeply we tend to believe things and to hold on to uh, things from our background and our practice. So Paul talks about that. And he calls it in, in verse 1, uh, look, look at how he says, the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I want to jump on that word there. And I'm going to use a different term than opinions, which it's an accurate term. I think it's, it's maybe uh, doesn't give the whole idea of conflict as much as the term I want to use today is disputable matters. Matters that, that might cause a dispute, an argument, a disagreement. But here's how I'm defining a disputable matter. It's not something where God has made a command or an explicit instruction. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. Not something that is clearly in Scripture and all those that believe the Bible uh, hold to. So I want to give you two cautions. If you are one who thinks, well, I don't like that, there are no disputable matters. Everything is black or white. There is no in-between. Well, be careful if you're one of those. Because Paul said there were disputable matters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go out on not even a limb and say there are disputable matters. And if you think there aren't, then you need to humble yourself to the Scripture here. But if you're one who thinks that all matters are disputable, be careful. In other words, if you're saying there is no absolute truth, you need to be careful as well. There is truth. Now listen to this statement. In Essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. Now that, that phrase has been attributed to a, a number of theologians, including Augustine. Uh, but at best I can, as I research it, it, it was... Uh, really goes back to a German Lutheran theologian that isn't really famous for anything else, Rupertus Meldenius. Uh, and, and he said, and this was in the context of, of war, basically, and he was talking about how there should be peace among believers in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Now here's how we have uh, adapted that here at St. Andrews, and we even have this in our workbook for our inquirers class when people are being introduced to the church and uh, they, they want to find out more about the church. 
in talking about our theology, we say this, we believe in majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. We believe that in the essentials there must be unity and in the non-essentials there must be freedom. Now the essentials, here's how we define that, are the things that are necessary for salvation. The essentials are the things that are necessary in order to get into heaven. And so the essentials are the gospel. And so that's where we take our stand. And then with our other theology, we don't say if it's a non-essential, that doesn't mean it's non-important or unimportant because we still teach those. But we make a distinction between uh, the, this is the core right here and this is an essential. And in these other areas, you're welcome to be a member here. There's freedom in those areas. So Paul describes the two groups, the weak and the strong. In this passage, uh, verse 2, the weak ones are the ones that won't eat everything vegetable eaters. And in verse 5, the weak are the ones that see some days as more sacred than others. And so the strong are, and that word's not used until chapter 15, but they eat everything, have no problem with eating anything. The strong consider all days alike. Now here's another thing to understand. Someone can be considered the strong on one issue and the weak in faith on another issue. Here the Gentile converts are considered to be the strong. They'll eat meat. But if you go over in 1 Corinthians 8, Gentiles, uh, believers, won't eat meat that was offered to idols. The Jewish uh, folks had no, uh, converts had no problem with that. And so the Gentile converts are considered the weak in that situation. So we're not going to dwell on, you know, who's strong and who's weak, but I just want to caution you if you kind of said, well, that puts me in the strong category. Because in some category, it's likely that you would be weaker in your faith. Chapter 15, verse 1, says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, again, this is going to be the application of love. If you are strong, you don't boast or hold it over others. If you're in the weak category, you don't hold uh, others hostage to your weakness. In other words, if uh, you're in that weaker category, not in this, but in any area, if you say, well, look, I'm the weaker brother, and so you should, that's never an appropriate statement. That's, that's moral tyranny. That's not love. That's judgment, and that's not love. And so those that are weak 
in these, uh, they're using these non-essentials and saying, this is what you need to measure up to. And non-essentials tend to come from custom, from background, from culture, from traditions. And the weak tend to be weak in applying liberty to their consciences. They tend not to want gray areas. They tend to like lots of rules. And by the way, there are lots of preachers around that love to lay out lots of rules for those in their church. And there are some people that want to go to a church where lots of rules, you, you know, the, in some ways it's, it's, it's easier because you don't have to make decisions. Well, you still do, but you're just deciding, will I obey what the preacher says or not? And so... People who like lots of rules get frustrated by preachers like me who won't make it that easy for you, who won't give you man-made rules, and that can be frustrating, and it is harder. And yet, I want us in these areas of dispute, these disputable matters, I want us wrestling with the Word of God and seeing that our conscience comes more and more in line with what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. So that brings us to the role of conscience and behavior. Look at uh, verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. And then down in verse 5, the last part. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you see how Paul gives everyone basically the benefit of the doubt? He's saying they're, they're both sincere. And so we need to understand that. Assume that somebody is, is making this decision in a, a, a sincere way. But notice he says, one person believes, and each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There he's talking about our conscience. Now let me give you another caution here. He is not saying that everyone can have their own set of laws. That's not what he's saying here. But it does mean, here's where it gets a little complicated, that what is a sin for one person may not be for another. Now again, it's not talking about God's commands. Two people are standing there. If one says, you know, in my conscience, my conscience is telling me that adultery is okay. No, it's not. That's not a disputable matter. God made it very clear. So when we're talking about the role of our conscience, we're not talking about those things 
that God has said, this is indisputable, thus says the Lord. We're talking about other areas. Um, what kinds of things? Let me give you some examples of some disputable matters. I actually um, preached on this passage in my previous church, and the context was this. We were, uh, we were uh, going to two services, and one service was going to be traditional and the other contemporary. And so before we did that, I, I preached on this passage because worship styles is, an, is a disputable matter. It's an opinion. It's a preference. It is not a biblical issue. Other than, biblically, we must love one another. And so I cautioned uh, you know, them from you know, one saying, well, I, I go to the service where we really reverence God. And, and the other's saying, well, I go to the service where the Holy Spirit is alive. You know, we, you, you can't do that. That would have been devastating. And so in this area of disputable matters, that's where you have the opportunity to show love for one another and deference for one another. So that's one area we see in terms of worship styles. Um, for in some uh, ways, it could be clothing and modesty. Um, let me give you another one. Democrat versus Republican. You know, there's some Democrats that say, well, <laughs> you can't be a Republican. You, you have no heart for anybody. And then the Republican has a response. Okay, let's just put it that way. And yet, in the church, that mustn't be the issue ever. For one thing, we... We know if Jesus were here, he would be an independent like me. So, <laughs> do you see the problem illustrated by that very statement? But it's a disputable matter. Let me give you an example of one, one that, you know, we might as well say it. It's, it's one that everybody uh, tends to think of uh, more contemporary than mixed bathing, I would say. And that is, uh, what about drinking an alcoholic beverage? The Bible does not tell us that it's a sin to drink an alcoholic beverage. Let me just, instead of saying that every time, let me just say drink wine. Doesn't say it's a sin to drink wine. It does clearly speak against drunkenness or drinking wine not in moderation. That's the indisputable part. Someone, however, could come to the conclusion for any number of reasons, legitimate reasons, that they should not drink wine. And for them it would be wrong to do it. If they then, if they come to that conclusion in their conscience, it's wrong for me to do it, and then they go against their conscience, it's a sin for them. Because they're going against their own conscience. 
Not only is it a sin for them, if you believe you have the freedom to drink wine in moderation, if you try to get your brother or sister in Christ who has a, a conscience issue with that, if you try to get them to drink, you're sinning against them. That's not the loving way to treat them. Okay, then how should we treat one another? Verse 3, treat those, this, we're, we're getting into the final section in case you're concerned. Uh, treat those we disagree with, with uh, how do we treat those on disputable matters? Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I want to remind you that this is how we treat those that disagree with us on disputable matters. We're not talking about the gospel here. You want to see an example of, of, of this same Apostle Paul, how he treats those who are twisting the gospel? You go to Galatians. There is no quarter there. No mercy there. Absolutely, that's an indisputable matter. Here he's talking about something completely different. And so, how do we disagree? You don't despise them. Love them. You don't, here, I want to take some pressure off of you. You don't have to try to convince them of your way or determine whether you'll have fellowship with them or not, unless they agree with you. Then he gives further application. And he says, don't judge them. And here's why. Judgment only comes from one place. There's only one place judgment should come. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's saying, look, other Christians don't report to you. You have been accepted in these disputable areas. You should accept them. We don't have to all agree on disputable matters in order to worship with one another, in order to love one another. And here's why, verses 9 through 11. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. See, he's bringing it in the perspective again. That he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? I think he's talking to both groups here. One was passing judgment, the other was despising. For we all... We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. You're all going to be on your knees. Every one of you is what he's saying. So he is reinforcing the true gospel. He takes us back to Romans 1 through 11, and he says, don't forget your justification by faith. That justification, 
You were my enemy, and I accepted you. Who are you to judge others? Don't act like Christ never lived or died or was resurrected. But instead, accept those who have already been accepted. We mustn't condemn those on whom there is now no condemnation. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We have only one judge, and that's God himself. Paul, Paul could have said at this point, <clears throat> okay, well, if you want peace, um, if you can't agree with one another, go out and start a new church. We'll have uh, the first church of the meat eaters, and over here we'll have the first church of the veggie eaters, and everything will be fine. But instead he says, no. Mm -mm. You're in the same church. You love one another. Defer to one another. And that biblical unity and biblical love is a transformed mind love and is a non-conformed to this world unity, and the world will take notice. May God help us to live out in the essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. Let's bow together. We can only do that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. And so we would plead for that, not because we deserve it, but only in the name of Christ. Amen.